Well then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the internet is certainly one of the greatest and worst things out there, but it's definitely full of information, especially things that, uh, that we might miss. I was bumming around on YouTube late one night, and I discovered a video about a man who predicted the end of the world. It was the story of family radio, the modern-day prophet Harold Camping, uh, and a prediction that didn't quite pan out. He had predicted that on May 21st of 2011, at 6 p.m. in each time zone, the world would end. The rapture would happen, people would be taken up into heaven, earthquakes would happen all over the world, the world would end. They launched this massive campaign to make sure everybody knew about it. They spent a hundred million dollars on this campaign. There's one person who, who was retired and gave his entire life savings to this campaign. And people, in preparation for this end of the world, sold all they had for practically nothing. Other people got as many credit cards as they could get and maxed them out, going around and seeing all the things of this earth before it was taken away. Well, either we all got left behind or it didn't actually happen. And as many of us can probably guess, the end of the world has not come. When I was thinking of how to be as a Christian, this is how many people think we should be. This is what we should be doing. That we should be representing God and, and telling everybody that all these things that are happening about God, we should simply just tell them. And many think that all you really have to do is spend money on advertisement, and that'll work. I don't agree with it. Many of you have probably seen the sign when you head up on 35 going north to the Twin Cities. You see a sign similar to this that says, Beyond reasonable doubt, Jesus is alive. And then call this number for more information. How many people have actually called that number? I, I truly wonder that. Because all I can think of is that, well, are people like my friends who would call them and make fun of them, honestly. That they would just, they would tease people like this. They're my friends. They're not the best people, though, so. But the other thing about this that I struggle with is beyond reasonable doubt. I struggle with doubt. I think I have a strong faith, but I still fight with doubt at times. And so now, does this mean that, that my faith is, is pitiful because I, it's, I still doubt in Jesus' death and resurrection at times? That I still struggle with that in my, in my sin? There's other ones out there. I've told a few of you about this, and I'm sure many of you have, who have gone down south have seen the glory of the signs on the highway that just simply say, Jesus. That's it. There's nothing more to this. No number to call and find out more about this Jesus guy. Just a sign that says Jesus. What does this do? What does this do but provide us Christians with a feeling of self-righteousness? 
I spent my money on a sign that, that shows my faith. You can probably hear the negativity and the cynicism and that I'm pretty jaded about stuff like this. But it's been pretty heartbreaking for me to see how people have, have given of their money and have, how they have done things, what they think is correct. But then I see people who just continue suffering. This weekend, as Pastor Werner began by reminding us, as you see on the wall, as you notice with the red, this is confirmation weekend. We have eight men and women that we are confirming who are going to publicly declare their faith. This is something that I think all of you have done. So it's important for us to understand how we then need to walk as people who have declared their faith. How are we supposed to be? Because part of the difficulty, too, is that everybody seems to have an opinion on how we are supposed to do this. Well, we don't go to the opinions of mankind. We go to the Word of God. This is our rule and our norm. This is our base, is what God has to say. Last weekend, Pastor Werner gave a wonderful sermon on the beginning part of this passage from Matthew 16. And Matthew 16 is an awesome chapter of Scripture because it's just packed with some amazing things that are happening. But especially on who Peter is. Because we begin by actually seeing Jesus walk on water. And Peter is one of the only ones who's actually bold enough to get out of the boat. And then last weekend, as Pastor Werner led us, Peter confesses that, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the very Son of God. Wow, this is, this is wonderful. Jesus responds to him by saying, Blessed are you. This is a very good thing, Peter. But now we're at the end of chapter 16, where Peter is scolded by Jesus and even called Satan. So what has happened? Well, now Peter's no longer in alignment with God. Jesus himself says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're not on the same page. You're doing what you think should be done. You're walking in the way that you think should be walked. But this is not in the same way that Christ must go. Jesus killed, executed, given to the, the Jewish leaders, suffer, rise on the third day? No, Jesus. No, absolutely not. This is not what should happen. But yet what we see throughout Scripture is this has always been the plan. From the, from the very beginning, we hear of the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. That's pretty vague, and what exactly does that mean and does that look like? But then that is fleshed out through this family of Israel, this then nation of Israel, and then we have a son of Israel, who's also the son of the father, who is now here to bring about this good and holy work, where he must suffer die and rise. Far be it from Jesus? No, Peter. This is what has to happen. And it does. Jesus suffers in so many ways. This is one of my favorite paintings because you have Peter who is denying Jesus. You have Jesus staring him down and Peter is looking away. 
Where was this zealous man who declared that this is the Christ, this is the very Son of God, and now he hangs his head in shame? But this is a part of the suffering that Christ goes through. He is abandoned. He is abandoned and forsaken by all of these close people. He has nobody. He's then convicted of all these crimes that he is not guilty for. Pilate himself talks about how innocent this man is. But yet, he is still sentenced to death, to execution. He carries his heavy wood cross up to Golgotha. He is nailed to that cross. He hangs there, still in suffering, still in agony. Cries out to the Father, but is also abandoned by God. Jesus here on the cross suffers the consequences of sin. And those consequences kill him. And he is taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb. But then he rises from the grave. What must be done, opposite of what Peter thinks, is done. Jesus is risen. Sin is paid for. All a part of God's holy plan. And so what does this mean? This means that we can simply be as God's people. That our sins are forgotten. That you are not your sin. That you are no longer tied to death. This wonderful second half of the verse from Hebrews 8, 12 I will remember their sins no more. So what does this mean for us? Is this permission then to do just whatever we desire to do? Well, no. Instead of being sin, we are now life. And so to live this life that we have been given, well, we should do it as a reflection of God. This means that we got to get rid of some of these awful stereotypes that we have. Of people who spend money on whatever they think is best. On on people who protest and, and yell at other people. This judgmental stereotype needs to go away. And we as people who are to be reflections of God need to be known for mercy and love. Because God has already judged us. And he has judged us based off of his love and his mercy found in Christ Jesus. And this is where we go to Romans 12. This is how we are to be. I would encourage you to go back and reread the entire chapter of chapter 12. Honestly, if you have time, read the whole book of Romans because it's all good. But especially in chapter 12. Last week we saw the beginning of this. We had it as a part of our memory verse right? To be a living sacrifice. But now here we get this long list of how we are to be, to love genuinely, to abhor evil, to hold fast to what is good. I love this. Basically, we are to compete with one another in how good and how loving we are to other people. We are to be zealous, to be patient, to be hopeful, to be constantly in prayer to be so much more. What's interesting is looking at people like Peter and how zealous he was. 
We look at these people who spend money on all these things and we see how zealous they are. But in all these things, we have to first and foremost be in alignment with God. Not walking in our ways, but walking in His way. And it's not an easy thing. This list, even as we get it from Romans, it sounds great. I, I want to love genuinely. I want to stay away from evil things. But it's not an easy list. Yet it is possible with God. This is why we look at people like Jeremiah, another one that I encourage you to go back and read, and just see how depressing his story is. Not so that you get dragged down into the dumps or anything like that, but it's very eye-opening. Because in Jeremiah, we see somebody who has a calling, somebody who knows what their calling is. But yet, we see how Jeremiah suffers. And he's not the only example of this. Job, another big one. Isaiah, in his frustration, as, as he does what he is supposed to be doing, but nobody listens. He stays away from the people he's supposed to stay away from, this Jeremiah, and yet he still suffers. And this is the reality of things. As we start to look at this more and more, well, we know how we are supposed to be, and, and realistically, if we are loving to people, shouldn't things go well for us? Well, no. Because really, this all boils down to the, the old-fashioned story of good versus evil. Paul tells us in, in Ephesians 6 that we're not fighting against people. We're fighting a spiritual war. We're fighting against evil things that want to prevent us from doing the good that God calls us to do, from actually being the people that God has freed us to be. That while you remember, he remembers your sins no more, that evil is still seeking you and trying to pull you back into these, these awful things. That story of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is constantly faced with evil things. So when we talk about how to be as a Christian, it most importantly comes out in how we respond to evil. To which Paul says today, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And as I talk about being a reflection of God, this is literally what he did. I will always remind you that the cross is an evil thing, an instrument of torture and death. A tomb, a grave, these are evil things, only meant for dead bodies, the lost loved ones. But God uses these for his good. Christ suffers that cross, that evil thing, so that your sins would be forgotten. Christ leaves his tomb empty so that you would have life. And in being a reflection of God, this is what you are to do. Not dying and rising for others, but as Paul says earlier in, in Romans 12, being a living sacrifice. As he says today, being a, a person who genuinely loves and cares for people. So when I give the example of how some people have spent money on billboards and advertising. 
I'm heartbroken. Because think of what can be done. Think of what could have been done. And again, yeah, I, I know I'm jaded about it. But use that to reflect now on what you can do and what focus you can have. When you are to be a reflection of God, you look to him and see how he does it. I think immediately of the woman at the well, the, the other woman who was caught in adultery. You know, God could have shown up on this earth and say, I am your creator, bow down and worship me. And he would have been, like, he would have been correct. That's 100% appropriate for him to do. He is the creator. He gets to call the shots. But he doesn't. In humility, he comes down to us at, to our level. And he gives his very life. All of the resources that he has, he uses it on people, on building them up, on, on caring for them. His focus is not on himself, but on everyone else, on the benefit of other people. This is how we are to be. That we are to, to know how we have been released from sin by what Christ has done, to know how then, because of being released, we can simply live. And then when we live, we should be a reflection of God, following his example, to walk humbly, to, to love mercy, to love genuinely. Amen? Amen. Amen.